And as we look around the world today, we, especially in the United States, we are seeing increased protests um, because of heavy-handed governors in particular who um, have a one-size-fits-all approach uh, to keeping businesses closed, keeping people in their homes, and so forth. And because of all this, I have found myself thinking about our freedoms and what's really going on. Um, We know that ultimately, God's purposes are always concealed in calamity. And so this morning, I would like to talk with you about some of that. I want to step away from our verse-by-verse exposition of of 2 Corinthians and talk about this. I I find it fascinating that now, um, in not-so-subtle ways, our constitutional freedoms are being challenged, our freedoms to assemble, uh, to worship, even free speech. All these things are being threatened, and and I believe that this is not only a preview of what will come upon the world prior to the coming of Christ, as we will see, but also it's really important to understand what's really happening right now in our world. I'm appalled when I think, for example, about uh, maybe you, you saw on YouTube the uh, the two doctors from California that challenged uh, the models presented by the government experts that have proven to be so grossly exaggerated. They used their own data, um, and they, they presented a very compelling case that the narrative of the mainstream media um, is not based upon real data, that, um, that no, there, there's no rational objective reason to shut down the entire economy, uh, and they made a compelling case that sheltering in place for a long period of time weakens people's immune systems, and, and therefore there's a, a good chance that when people finally get back out in the world, a lot of sickness will be the result. And it's interesting that a, a local TV program uh, taped all of that, and so they could present their findings and I don't know, I think the interview went viral with like five and a half million people that had seen it, and it was, it was, they were interviewed on, on the Fox News and so forth. But then suddenly YouTube removed it, claiming that it violated their community guidelines. I find that interesting, whether you agree with them or not. And frankly, 99% of everything a faithful pastor preaches violates community guidelines. Facebook is also banning anti-shelter-in-place protest events and so forth. So I was thinking about this. You know, who, who is it that decides what's true and false these days? Who is it that gets to decide what is right or wrong? Well, the answer is always the liberal elite who know better than everyone else. That's what we're seeing. We're seeing the systematic elimination, frankly, of our First Amendment rights. And now the people who hate Christians more than anybody else are really in a position to determine what is acceptable speech. That's frightening to me. Everyone else must be silenced. And folks, this is what they do in totalitarian countries. Now, my purpose here is not to discuss the politics or or, or even the policies associated with this pandemic. But I, I do intend to 
do three things. If I can give you, and this isn't necessarily an outline, it's just a general description of where I would like to go this morning in looking at some passages of Scripture. I would, first of all, like to warn you about what is happening right now. Secondly, I would like to remind you of what God says is going to happen. And then thirdly, I want to prepare you for the difficulties that lie ahead. And in so doing, encourage your hearts with the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. First of all, let me, let me warn you about what is happening right now. I find it interesting how history repeats itself. And of course, history repeats itself because God's curse upon sin has not been lifted. Moreover, God still allows Satan to temporarily be the ruler or the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Indeed, as John tells us in 1 John 5.20, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You want to remember that, dear ones. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and following, we learn that as Christians, we are at war against satanic fortresses, a term that described uh, strongly fortified defensive structures. And these fortresses, if you look at that text closely, are constructed of speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. In other words, these are fortresses of false ideologies, of proud intellectualism that's promoted by depraved and irrational men and women who have no fear of God, who have no love for Christ or for his word, who hate all who belong to him, and they are therefore unwitting pawns on Satan's chessboard. In fact, Jesus said in John eight forty four, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Dear friends, everyone who is hostile to Christ is deceived and is a pathological liar. You must accept that reality. However, we're not to hate them, we're to love them enough to give them the gospel because we too were once in that condition and were it not for God's grace, we'd still be there. Nevertheless, these are our enemies and they are in control because they are under Satan's control and this is going to get worse until the Lord comes. We witness this every day, don't we? I mean, we live in a generation now that has been seduced by all manner of satanic deceptions, especially existentialism and postmodernism. Existentialism is a philosophical movement that believes that the universe is purposeless, that it is irrational, and that each individual is responsible for creating his own sense of meaning and his own sense of purpose. And postmodernism is as one source puts it, quote, a late 20th century movement 
characterized by broad skepticism, subjectivism, or relativism, a general suspicion of reason, and an acute sensitivity to the role of ideology in asserting and maintaining political and economic power. So for these people, there's no such thing as absolute truth, which in itself is an absolute truth, though they don't see it. There's no absolute truth, and of that we are absolutely certain. So truth is what you want it to be. As you think about it, we live in a world where all viewpoints, no matter how absurd or contradictory, must be considered equally valid, except biblical Christianity. That must be rejected. And as a result, we are now supposed to embrace things like the sexual perversions of homosexuality uh, and the bizarre delusions of the transgender movement. We are now expected to believe the blatant lies of, of leftist politicians whose hypocrisy and, and greed and corruption know no bounds. We are expected to believe the, the clever deceptions of their allies in the media that feed the public a steady diet of fake news to promote the Democratic Party. We are expected to believe that the killing of unborn infants is morally acceptable, acceptable because after all, a woman has a right to choose so she can legally murder her child if she finds it expedient. I find it interesting as well that we, we live in a country where it's legal to kill your child in the womb, but you'll go to jail if you spank them. We are expected to embrace the global warming and climate change mandate or else the world as we know it is going to come to a violent end. We are expected to embrace the political prophets of, of pseudo-Christian liberal elites that believes that social justice ideology is, is an essential element of the gospel, which requires, therefore, churches to advocate for what is fundamentally Marxist socialism and embrace cultural, a cultural definition of justice that is constantly changing and has nothing to do with the justice of God. We are expected to believe the pseudo-evangelical false prophets who tell us that God is speaking to them and revealing new information to them that they need to share with everybody else. And as a result, they preach a man-centered gospel that bears little, if any, resemblance to the true gospel. We are expected to believe that this COVID-19 virus will kill the majority of the world unless we agree to solitary confinement. Even if it ruins our economy and drives millions into bankruptcy, causes millions to lose their jobs, and produces poverty. And notice how quickly the nations of the world join together in such a common cause. Beloved, we would be foolish to believe that this is not a globalist agenda, that there isn't a globalist agenda behind all of this. They talk all the time about a new world order. And certainly it's, it's beyond the purview of what I have for you this morning to discuss this. But I have no doubt that that is true because Scripture tells us that that is true. 
Child of God, truly our nation and the people of the world have been given over to a depraved mind, as we read in Romans 1. And truly, as my father reminds me often, he quotes 2 Thessalonians 2.7 out of the King James. He says, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, let me remind you of what God and his word has told us about what is going to happen. And this is just going to be a brief overview. We know, biblically, that the world is being prepared for the coming of the Antichrist, of which uh, Scripture describes as uh, uh, the beast, Satan's servant, the beast. We know that, according to the Bible, he will gain political supremacy over the world, and that there will be a new world order under him. Paul describes him as, according to 2 Thessalonians 2, beginning in verse 9, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Truly, judgment is going to come upon the world. All those who have denied the God of the Bible who have denied the Lord Jesus Christ, who have denied the gospel. Jesus spoke of this in Luke 17, beginning in verse 26. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot, Jesus says. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. May I remind you that the days... The days of Noah were characterized by unrestrained evil and demonic activity. In Genesis 6, 5, we read that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. Likewise, the days of Lot were no different. They were marked by rampant Immorality, especially the sexual perversion of homosexuality. You will recall that the men of Sodom were so depraved that they tried to rape the two angels sent to rescue Lot and his family from the imminent danger that was about to come upon them in that entire region. In fact, Jude tells us that the fiery judgment that fell upon Sodom and Gomorrah and the other smaller cities around there was not only a statement about God's absolute condemnation of homosexual sin, but also a preview of the fire that can never be quenched in an an eternal hell. He says in verse 7 of Jude, 
Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. But you might also remember that in both periods of human history, uh, in the days of Noah and in the days of, of Lot, God's judgment fell upon them suddenly and unexpectedly. And my friends, God is warning us that that is going to happen again someday. But may I also remind you that in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot, there were warnings after warnings after warnings about the judgment. But people scoffed. In Genesis, we read about Noah and all that he did. And in fact, Peter tells us in 2 Peter 2.5 that Noah was a, quote, preacher of righteousness. We know that he preached for 120 years warning people about the coming judgment. Peter went on to describe Lot as a righteous man who was, quote, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, in verse 7. In other words, the homosexuals of that area harassed him because of his beliefs. A man who opposed the wickedness of the culture, and he was hated because of it. But it's also important to note that both Noah and his family... And Lot and his family were taken away to safety before God unleashed the judgment. And this, I believe, is a beautiful picture of the rapture of the church before the tribulation. It's also a picture of God's supernatural preservation from his wrath for those who come to faith in Christ during the tribulation. And while we await the snatching away of the saints... In the rapture that's going to precede the pre-kingdom judgments of the tribulation, dear friends, we too must be, like Noah, preachers of righteousness to warn the world. And we may also rejoice knowing that, as we read in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Well, thirdly, I want to prepare you a bit for the difficulties that lie ahead. We don't know for sure what or when, but we know that according to Scripture, things are going to get worse, not better. And I believe we're seeing a preview of coming attractions today with this COVID virus. Now, to be sure, the wickedness of our day is not unique. Indeed, we're merely repeating history. We know that ancient Israel fell into the same satanic traps, the same deceptions that we see the world dealing with today. And this brings us to a text in Jeremiah 12, if you would like to take your Bibles and turn there. Let me give you a little context. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet, and he was weeping because he was at his wit's end because he saw all of the sin around him. In fact, the word backsliding is a key word in Jeremiah. It's used 13 times. False prophets had duped the people into believing that God was on their side, that everything was good, 
that there would be peace, there would be safety, there would be prosperity. But Judah had conformed to the culture, so much so that they had incorporated the idolatrous practices of the culture into their own worship. This included child sacrifice to the god Moloch in the valley of Hinnom, which was just outside of Jerusalem. I find it interesting, wherever Satan works, we see some of the same things, one of which being a total disregard for infants and for children. But Judah was also involved in all manner of gross immorality. In fact, in Jeremiah 2, Judah's sexual promiscuity is likened to the behavior of a she-camel in heat and also likened to a wild donkey sniffing the wind to find a mate, craving to attract one of its own kind to breed. And in Jeremiah 7, as well as Jeremiah chapter 44, we read how that they were also condemned by God for worshiping the queen of heaven, Samaramus, and mourning over her son, Tammuz, which, by the way, is a satanic counterfeit of the virgin birth of Christ. In Ezekiel 8.14, we read about their mourning over the son, Tammuz. By the way, that worship also involved the most base forms of immorality. This was essentially mother-son fertility cult worship. It was rooted in ancient Babylonian cultism, It was later known as Madonna and Child, uh, a satanic counterfeit of Mary and Jesus. I might also add that the remnants of this idolatry um, can still be seen in Roman Catholic uh, theology where they call Mary the Queen of Heaven and so forth. But even before Jeremiah's prophecies, Isaiah described the wickedness of Judah in Isaiah 5. You will recall that they, they're, they're described as greedy materialists. They were involved in, in all manner of debauchery and drunkenness and, and just defiant. They were daring God to judge them. They called evil good and good evil. They were wise in their own eyes. Their leaders were corrupt and so forth. So the main theme of Jeremiah is, is divine judgment with a secondary theme of ultimate restoration in the future messianic kingdom. So what happens is God tells Jeremiah that he is going to judge the people with the Babylonians. And like many of us today, Jeremiah was utterly exhausted by the wickedness that he saw all around him and frustrated with how the wicked seem to always prosper. Do you ever feel that way? <laughs> I, I do. I mean, the wicked always prosper. Uh, they, they, they always win. Christians are maligned. They're marginalized. We know that persecution is mounting, but we see the globalists pursuing their agenda, the open borders people gaining ground, and all of these things. There's a double standard and how conservatives are, especially conservative evangelicals, are treated uh, in comparison to everyone else. It's like the deck is stacked, right? We just see this all the time. The scales are weighted in their favor, 
And many times we can find ourselves saying, it's just not fair. Well, of course it's not fair. We live in a fallen world and Satan's in charge and he hates us. And the world hates us. And we have politicians and professors in universities and false religionists who believe things that are not just unbiblical, they are utterly absurd. Things that are demonstrably false. Yet people believe these things. And as I say, we can get frustrated because the chimpanzees are running the zoo. We can pull our hair out. And yet we're the ones that need to be silenced. These people are preparing the way for the inevitable collapse of our nation and the rise of the Antichrist and the false prophet and truly a new world order. But worse yet, according to Romans 2.5, because of their stubbornness and their unrepentant heart, they are storing up wrath against themselves for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. And this is heartbreaking, dear friends. This is why we should love them and give them the gospel. But this was what was going on with Jeremiah. He he was just appalled at all of this. So he was demanding vengeance. He was impatient. He was filled with self-pity. And so he says in Jeremiah chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, Righteous are you, O Lord, that I would plead my case with you. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? In other words, Lord, I need to call you into account here. I don't like what's going on. You owe me an explanation. That was kind of the attitude. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? You have planted them. They have also taken root. They grow. They have even produced fruit. They are near to their, or you are near to their lips, but far from their mind. In other words, they're hypocrites in their religion. But you know me, O Lord. You see me, and you examine my heart's attitude toward you. And then he basically has a prayer of imprecation. He says, drag them off like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for a day of carnage. How long is the land to mourn and the vegetation of the countryside to wither for the wickedness of those who dwell in it? Animals and birds have been snatched away because men have said, he will not see our latter ending. In other words, he, he's using uh, uh, talk here of, 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 the, of the judgment of drought to get his point across. And when he says men have said, he, referring to the prophet, will not see our latter ending, I believe he's referring here to um, how the ungodly scoffed at the prophet's warning, thinking that, you know, that guy's going to die before we do, so don't pay any attention to his judgment. But what is fascinating here is that God does not console Jeremiah, nor does he answer his question about why the wicked seem to be prospering all the time, not seem to be, were prospering all the time. You know, God did not owe him an explanation, nor would he be able to understand it had God given it to him. Instead, what God is going to tell him to do here is basically this. If I can put it in our vernacular, he's telling Jeremiah, son, you need to man up. You need to stay focused on your mission. 
Get your thumb out of your mouth. Stop your whining. Stop wringing your hands in despair. Stop pacing the floor. Stop complaining. I mean, you're of little use to me and others if you're constantly bellyaching about how bad things are everywhere. Trust me, obey me, serve me. This is the high cost of discipleship. And yet the reward one day will be beyond your wildest imagination. I'm in charge. Trust me. I will punish the wicked in my time, in my way. Moreover, as we're going to see, he's going to tell him things are going to get a lot worse before they ever get better. And the Lord uses two analogies here to explain this. Notice verse 5. He says, if you have run with footmen and they have tired you out, then how can you compete with horses? In other words, if you don't have enough stamina and strength to compete with men in a foot race, how do you ever expect to compete if you're running against horses? Then he says as well, if you fall down in the land of peace, Peace could be translated a, a, a safe country. How will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? Now let me give you a little background here. The, the, the thickets of the Jordan were dense uh, jungles, basically. They were partially flooded in the spring. They were virtually impenetrable. It would be very difficult to walk through one. Thorn bushes everywhere, ferocious beasts. They were a place that were filled with deadly poisonous snakes and especially the Asiatic lion. That lion could, the males could grow to be 500 pounds. In fact, in Jeremiah 49, 19, God describes his fierce judgment by likening himself to a hungry lion emerging from Jordan's thickets in search of a victim. So bottom line, God is saying, Jeremiah, you need to realize the intensity of this conflict and the role you have to play in it. Stay focused on what I've asked you to do. As I've heard a thousand times over the years, especially in my cowboy days, what God is saying is cowboy up. You need to cowboy up, son. The battle is going to get far worse in days ahead, and you need to develop spiritual stamina in troubled times, which is the title of my discourse to you this morning. He's essentially saying, if you can't handle what you're seeing now, along with all of the verbal threats and the rejection that you're experiencing, how do you expect to stand firm when they come after your life? So the Lord even gave him a hint of how much worse it would get. In verse 6, he said, For even your brothers and the household of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. Even they have cried aloud after you. Do not believe them, although they may say nice things to you. Folks, there's no pain like relational pain, right? There's nothing that hurts worse in all of life than to have somebody that you love betray you. Some of you know what that feels like. To have family members that you can't trust, family members that hate you. Remember, the un unbeliever loves darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And when they get around you, they see light. And they, they don't want that. It sounds cruel, but they're like cockroaches when you turn on the light. They run and hide. 
They suppress the truth and unrighteousness, and you come along, you give them the truth, and they're trying to keep a lid on that box, and you blow it open. They don't like you. This is what Jeremiah was experiencing and was going to experience more of. Beloved, like Jeremiah, we've all got to develop spiritual stamina for what lies ahead in a world that is heading inexorably towards judgment, in a world that, that hates Christ, hates his word, hates all who belong to him. And if I can say this kindly as your pastor, if you're, if you're constantly in a dither over the moral freefall that you're witnessing, and it is terrible, if you're constantly whining about how bad things are, especially as the result of this pandemic, what are you going to do when things really get bad? It's so easy to lose your focus. You know, Christians in the West tend to be very spoiled. We're kind of like couch potatoes with the physical and spiritual stamina of a, of, of a pudgy third grader who spends his life in front of a screen eating Krispy Kreme donuts. That's kind of how we are as Christians. I mean, we're so spoiled. We've got everything here. And so as a result, we tend to be lacking in strength of conviction. We tend to be lacking in faith, hope, love, and courage. We tend to lack in spiritual discipline. We tend to be lacking in, in Bible knowledge and, and in Christian service and in evangelism and discipleship and financial stewardship and even gathering together. You know, when you go and visit the saints in other parts of the world where I have been, where they're persecuted, like in Russia, in Israel, you go to China or India or Indonesia, you'll see that they're far stronger than we are. They're far stronger in their faith than the evangelical powder puffs here in America. And that's what we have to guard ourselves against. But friends, as you can see from what is happening in our country, especially as a result of this coronavirus, trouble can descend upon us just like that. Let me ask you, who would have believed that the greatest economy in the history of the world would be utterly desecrated in a manner of weeks? Who would have thought that? It's an amazing thing. Millions of people have lost much of their 401k, their retirement. Who would have thought that? Savings dwindling away. Millions have lost their businesses, jobs, and so forth. Now, think about this realistically. What if the virus comes back in the fall as they predict? What if the, quote, sheltering in place has, has reduced our immune systems and thousands of people get sick? What if the economy gets worse? What if you lose your retirement, your business, your job, maybe your home? What if the predictions of an unusually active hurricane season are right? What if the liberal socialists gain power 
And they begin to prosecute Christians for what they call hate crimes and discrimination. What if the law forbids pastors to preach the Bible when it contradicts the values of the culture and the values of those in political power? Then what? What if churches and Christian institutions lose their tax-exempt status because they do not embrace the LGBTQ agenda? What if they outlaw homeschooling? What if they outlaw parents interfering in the gender identity of their children? What if your church affiliation becomes public information and people boycott your business because of your beliefs and perhaps you lose your job because you attend Calvary Bible Church? What if there are billionaire globalists working an agenda for a new world order. You might say, well, pastor, these are all just what ifs. Yeah, but they are very real real possibilities. And I want you to understand that everything that I have listed are being aggressively pursued by politicians in our country. Some of them are even being litigated in our courts today. Dear Christian, are you preparing yourself for the difficulties that even you're now experiencing in your family, but what you might experience more and what I believe you will experience more and I will experience more in the days ahead? Or are you just wringing your hands and complaining Are you filled with frustration like Jeremiah? Yeah. Are you filled with self-pity? Well, yeah, maybe I am. Are you getting upset because God's not acting quick enough? Well, yeah. You see where it goes? Our attitudes can really get out of kilter. And that's the danger here. Or are you about the Great Commission? Are you about living for God and his glory and living in light of his soon return? If you have run with footmen and they have tired you out, then how can you compete with horses? If you fall down in a land of peace, how will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? Well, so what must we do? What can we do to gain spiritual stamina in troubled times? What can we do to prepare ourselves and to prepare our families for what they are going to experience? And, And, you know, I don't want to be a preacher of gloom and doom, but of reality. And frankly, I fear for what my grandchildren and my children are going to experience in the days ahead. I mean, I've seen in my lifetime, The programs on television go from Andy of Mayberry and Bonanza to things you just just don't even want to think about, much less look at. Well, if you're going to get in shape physically, you're going to have to train, right? You're going to have to watch what you eat. You're going to have to exercise. There's different things that you need to do. 
And as I was thinking about what I'm going to share with you in closing this morning, my mind went, it's, it's like, well, which list do you go to? I mean, there's so many things that we need to do. Let me give you just some general categories of what you need to do to develop spiritual stamina. Number one, dear friends, look often upon the Lamb of God. Look often upon the Lamb of God. Look at him not just in your imagination, but in Scripture, and see him suffering on the cross on your behalf. Remember his sacrifice for you, that he loved you so much that he would bear your sins in his body. Behold the empty tomb and come together to worship with other believers as together we think about the glories of of the cross and the glories of what God has done. As Paul said in Colossians 3, beginning in verse verse 1, therefore, or it could be translated since, since you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. Number two, marvel often at your union with God. You know, this was at the heart of Paul's doxology. Remember, he recorded this in Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Oh, dear dear friends, the wonder of it all. Just think of this. Christ is not just with us. He is not just outside of us, but he is in us, and we are in him. And it's for this reason Paul would go on to say in Colossians 3, 4, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Oh, dear friends, marvel often at your union with Christ. Number three, lay hold of the promises of God. Remember, The word of your servant, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 119, beginning in verse 49. Remember the word of your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction that your word has revived me. Dear friends, make a list of the promises of God. Talk about them with your family. If if you start going through them in Scripture, you, you will spend months They're all over the place. But rehearse them often in your heart. Meditate upon them. I'm constantly reminding myself that the Lord has promised that he will never leave me nor forsake me. That he is going to continue to conform me into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he has gone away to prepare a place for me and for you. And he's going to come again and take us unto himself. And on and on it goes. Sing about these things. Rehearse them in your mind. And one that stands out to me constantly is the one in Isaiah 43, verse 2. Talk about a promise. Listen to this. When you pass through the waters, not if, but when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will be scorched, or you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. What a magnificent promise. 
Look often upon the Lamb of God, marvel often of your union with God, lay hold of the promises of God, and then number four, be bold in the proclamation of God. Dear friends, never be ashamed of the gospel. Unleash it in all that you say, in all that you do. You should be a living sermon to everyone that comes in contact with you. Love people enough to warn them. Yes, most people will reject you. But you never know who are among the elect. The Spirit of God will quicken. Tell people about the hope that you have in Christ. And then number five, grasp tightly to the hand of God. In other words, walk closely with him. Walk by the Spirit. Let him lead your life. Walk close with him in loving communion, in private worship. If I could put it this way, just live your life in his presence. Coram Deo, face to face. He will be your strength. He will be your deliverer. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Not too long ago, my little granddaughter was in the truck with me. I was waiting for Nancy outside of Walmart, and there was a very strange-looking character that came up with his dog, and he was about from here to Jake, about 20 feet away. And little Pepper saw him, and she could tell that something was not right with him. And immediately, she jumped over in my lap behind the steering wheel and hung on to me because she was afraid. Folks, that's how we need to be with the Lord. Look often upon the Lamb of God. Marvel often at your union with God. Lay hold of the promises of God. Be bold in the proclamation of God. Grasp tightly the hand of God. And finally, pray earnestly for the kingdom of God. Isn't that what Jesus asked us to do? He wants us to pray, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, Satan wants to establish his kingdom. He wants a new world order. And certainly his globalist pawns are working in that direction. But we know that ultimately our God reigns. And folks, let that be the passion and the prayer of your heart. And then together we can sing the lyrics of Isaac Watts written back in the 17th century. Come we that love the Lord and let our joys be known. Join in song with sweet accord and thus surround the throne. Oh, the hope that we have in Christ, right? Be encouraged to that end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you have promised us and we thank you that by the power of your spirit we can live by faith. But oh Lord, how we long for that day when faith becomes sight. But until that happens, I pray that you will help us to stay focused on what you've called us to do. And yes, Lord, our hearts break over what we see happening around us. And, and often in our flesh, we're filled with fear. But Lord, we ultimately know 
that you are our strength and our deliverer. And in you will we trust. And Father, for those within our family, perhaps our church family, those that we know, that we work with, our friends, relatives, Lord, I pray that you will help us to be salt and light, that they too might come to faith in Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. We pray you've been edified by this presentation. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Jolton, Tennessee. For more information on Calvary Bible Church or for more audio, please visit our website at cbctn.org.